so Judges chapter 3 is where we are at. Uh, we'll look at these six verses, and you'll see in verse 7 we start with Othniel. Uh, and then you go into Ehud and Shamgar to finish out Judges 3. So uh, we, we are approaching the action-packed, exciting part of the book. So that is certainly good news. Um, we'll read it in, uh, as a whole, and then we'll go from there. Now, these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. These are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon as far as Lebohamath. They were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to the sons and served their gods. Well, this is um, essentially the conclusion of chapter 2. So remember that the chapter breaks aren't inspired. They weren't given to us by God. They were added later by editors. Verses were added even later than that. Um, so so uh, in one sense, it does introduce the judges. But as we saw last week, uh, the last half of chapter 2 is a coming up next sort of thing. And this is really the conclusion uh, of that. But it lays the geographical political landscape. So because of that, some of you are going to find everything we do here tonight fascinating. Some of you are just get me to the part where Shamgar kills a bunch of people with a donkey's jawbone. All right. That's, that's, so you're going to be one of those camps. Okay. Uh, so, so, so stick with me. Uh, but, um, but due to Israel's um, compromises and military failures, they are dwelling with the Canaanites. They're, they're surrounded by them. And I'll have a map up here uh, in, in a minute. Um, and so what we see as we come into chapter three, the land flowing with milk and honey is already spoiled. And uh, this is not as it was supposed to be. And this creates a significant problem. But you see there in verses 1 and 2, uh, God explains why he allowed the Canaanites to survive among the Israelites. And, and three reasons are given in, uh, in these opening three chapters. The first is so that God would punish Israel for their apostasy. And now, uh, so, so God was using Israel to punish the Canaanites for, for their idolatry. Now, God is having to use the Canaanites to punish Israel for their apostasy. Um, so if you want to see this, Judges uh, 2, 3. So now I say I will not drive them out before you, but they will become thorns in your sides. Their God shall be a snare to you. This is an act of judgment upon Israel. And this was a persistent warning against Israel. If they remained faithful, God would clear the land for them. If they were unfaithful, uh, then uh, judgment will come in various forms, sometimes like in the form of earthquakes and fires and all that sort of stuff. But it could also come through a failure, um, and, and that is, in, in a sense, uh, like military failure, where sometimes God's judgment can come through success. That God gives you what you want, only to discover he knows better than you. Um, and here, they, they are suffering from failure. Uh, secondly, uh, God keeps the Canaanites there to test their faithfulness. Uh, you saw that in verse 4 here. They were for the testing of Israel. Same thing is said in chapter 2, verse 22 in order to test Israel by them, whether they would take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So basically, they are going to be surrounded by the pagan gods, and it is a test. 
Will they choose the tree of life or will they choose the tree of death, basically? And here we have a retelling of the garden narrative because the Israel, Canaan is supposed to be a garden-like area. The third was, this is interesting, verse 2 is, is that God is using the Canaanites to train them in warfare. Now, um, there's some debate as to what is, what is intended here. Most agree um, God is not talking about how uh, the Israelites must learn how to conduct a war as if they needed to practice on their Canaanite neighbors. Actually, the, the problem in Judges is when they conduct a war like the Canaanites. Remember the, in chapter 1, Adonai Bezek, where they remove his thumbs and toes? That's Canaanite warfare. That's not the way Jews fight. Uh, Jews don't do that. Um, but it is worth noting that if we go all the way back to the day of Moses, um, we read this. When the Lord your God brings you to the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and clears away many nations before you. And we're going to come back to this verse because the list is seven nations. Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Those are all on your test. Okay? Uh, so we're going to come across these again. Seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. Uh, when the Lord God gives them over to you, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughter to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, which compare verse three here with verse six in your Bible. It's, it's like God said, uh, don't do this. You're like, so you're saying I can do it. You know, it's, it's like, no, no, I said the opposite. Okay. Um, but verse 4, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars, dash into pieces their pillars, and chop down their asherim, and burn their carved images with fire. Now, one of the things that I've been thinking through is, is a lot of times we, we think of the Israelites are supposed to just commit genocide against the Canaanites. I don't think that's the case. Because why would God say, kill all of them and don't intermarry with them? That's a contradiction. If everyone's dead, you can't marry them. The point is this is holy war. This is a theological war. And the sense that you go, you get rid of the idolatry. And, and through warfare, you're, you're going to do this. Remember, this is a, a, a theocracy, Israel is. And uh, so the, what was most important was that they were to get rid of the gods. Remember that in the ancient world, land was attached to deities, so you remember when uh, David has to flee, Israel goes to the land of the Moabites. Mary's great-grandmother was a Moabitess and you know, Ruth and all that. Well, w when he does that, uh, he complains to Saul, you took me out of the land of Yahweh. Well, God's everywhere. And David knew that. But at the same time, the land was Yahweh's. So when nations warred against each other and they extended borders, it was extending the power and influence of, of those gods. And so... Uh, you have to clear the land of the gods so that God becomes the God of the land. So you have to you get rid of all this sort of stuff. And this is what they failed at. And so, so in having the Canaanites there, they're learning and relearning holy war, that, that we will only have peace, we will only have Eden when we get rid of false gods and worship only the, the true God. Um, so... Um, so what we get then in verse 3 is these are the nations, the five lords of uh, the Philistines, um, all the Canaanites, Sidonians, Hivites who, land, uh, who lived on Mount Lebanon and Mount Baal Hermon as far as Lebo Hamath. Now, again, all this is going to be on your quiz. Uh, here, here, here are the nations. 
The Philistines were in the southwest. Um, here, I've actually got these up here. Uh, now, I don't have all of this figured out where everybody was. Okay, I'm learning at this. I'm not a, I like maps, but I'm not the best map guy. Okay, so the uh, Philistines, we'll, we'll look at him here. So here they are, southwest. Um, you're going to have the Canaanites in the south. Now, Canaanites is a generic term, but here the idea is going to be more southeast. Um, the Sidonians, these are Phoenicians, we'll come to them. Uh, northwest, they're going to be up here. And then the Hivites, uh, we'll talk, we may talk a little bit about Horites and, and all that. They're going to be up here. Now, you'll notice that there are other Canaanite nations, the Ammonites, the Jebusites, the Girgashites, and all that. But in general, what you have in this list is basically um, the whole land. Northeast, southeast, southwest, northwest. Uh, and and they, they are to say that the four corners of Canaan are occupied by these Canaanite nations. Um, and so everywhere they turn, all 12 tribes are under this test of God. Okay. So I want us to look at some of these because um, have you ever read uh, a book series, a fictional book series? By the time you get to book two or three, at the beginning of the book, it has a list of characters. We're doing that. So especially if, if, you know, a guy publishes a book and three years later, the second volume comes. You're like, well, I don't remember all the people in it. I read it three years ago. And that little list of characters sort of reminds you. So here's Bob. Bob is a farmer on uh, Farmer Bob's farm, whatever. And here's, here's Sally. Uh, Sally works at the local pharmacy and she, she's really sassy. Okay, so, so oh, I remember. I remember Sally. I remember Bob. That's sort of what it is you're getting here at the beginning of chapter three is here's the cast of characters that, that we're going to meet. Now, some of these pop up over and over again, some less so. Notice, first of all, the five lords of the Philistines. What a strange uh, phrase that is. Who were the Philistines? These guys are going to pop up. Uh, the most prominent example is, of course, Samson. And, and later, another prominent Philistine is going to show up. His name is Goliath. And Goliath comes from a town called Gath. Gath is one of the five city-states of the Philistines. Uh, and, and so over Gath and the other four cities are governors, if you will. There's no unifying king. So you have five lords of the Philistines over these five city-states of, of the Philistines. Um, now, what's interesting is that all these people, all these Canaanites, they're native to Canaan. Uh, they're, they're, they're Semitic in that sense. They're Asiatics, and, uh, except for the Philistines. They ain't from around there. Um, they are known as the Sea Peoples. The Bible traces their origin to Crete. Here are three verses that basically say that. Do with them whatever you want. By the way, notice here, in this is the Table of Nations, Genesis 10. Egypt fathered da -da 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 -da, uh, this cat here from whom the Philistines came. Um, and then you can see Kaftor, uh, Philistines from Kaftor, Philistines were in the coastland of Kaftor. And the question, where's Kaftor? Well, uh, this is actually interesting. From what I understand is uh, a lot of people thought the Bible's wrong on this. No, actually, the, the, the Bible has proven to be pretty accurate. They are among what's known as the Sea Peoples. Archaeology has confirmed this. Uh, we have the DNA. I think I have a picture of it. Here you go. This is a Philistine. Um, not a giant, for those of you who are just wanting to know that, that question. Uh, it's a normal-sized person, and uh, it's a Philistine. And uh, we have taken DNA. DNA has just radically uh, improved our understanding of the ancient world. Um, in 2019, 10 of these skeletons from a cemetery at Ashkelon, one of the five city-states, 
uh, revealed the Philistines were from the regions of Crete, Sardinia, and the Iberian Peninsula. Do I have? Yeah, here you go. So what you have basically, uh, I don't understand this whole map. I found it on the internet. So just work with me here, folks. What you're going to have, it's basically these islands right around here. There's dozens and dozens of them. Here's Kaftor, Crete. Okay? That's where we think it is. Uh, but what you have is, you'll notice uh, uh, basic three places where they show up on land. Uh, I don't know anything about here, uh, but notice here Egypt. Remember, Egypt controls here, and they go all the way up into Canaan. And we know that for uh, a number, number of reasons. Well, the Philistines, you may remember, uh, here you go. They're down here at the southwestern part of Canaan. And so they were able to successfully push the Egyptians out of that part of Canaan. And so, um, so why this is important is because when, when Israel is taking possession of the land, they don't just have the Canaanites to deal with. The Philistines are down there. They have a very different culture. They have very different gods. They have a very different approach to everything. And they were syncretistic in that they would, you know, just sort of survive and intermarry and all that sort of stuff. And so Israel has now come in, and and uh, they've got the Philistines down here, and they have Canaanites everywhere else. Um, and and they will remain a constant problem to the Israelites all the way through the story of of David. They established five major city states. Can any of you all name any of them? We said Gath and Ashkelon. I got Gaza, but that may be shared. Because um, I, I, I know what you're talking about, and you may be right. I got Gaza here. Um, so, yes, we'll go with that. The other ones are Akron. Right? If you go to Meade County, there's the town of Akron. Yeah. That's how you know you're from there. It's Akron, not Akron. Uh, the other is Ashdod. Um, now, remember that... that Goliath comes from Gath, it's the land of giants. And we know that from the Anakim and everything from the story of Joshua and Moses. Um, then we meet the Sidonians, um, and they were first mentioned in... Uh, oh, here you go. Here's the five, five of them um, in relation to uh, Jerusalem. Again, I saw that from the internet, so I assume it's accurate. Most things on the internet are accurate, uh, of course, but uh, you, you can see it there. Uh, it says Gaza there, but you're probably right, Lonnie, about Gezer. Anyways, um, so um, the Sidonians first mentioned in chapter 1, Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko or the inhabitants of Sidon. Um, and so they likely referred to themselves just as Canaanites. The Greeks later called them Phoenicians. This is a term we, we usually use today. Um, that term, I understand, was coined by Homer in the Iliad. Uh, oh, can I just mention this real quick? I heard this somewhere, and I cannot verify it. You ever read the story of, of uh, the Odyssey, Odysseus? Uh, Ithaca, is that where he goes back? Does that sound right? I think is in this area. And some have tried to suggest that what Homer's describing there is that Odysseus is a sea people, maybe someone who's similar to a Philistine. I cannot prove that anywhere, but I heard that, and... So it has to be true. I, there's no way I could have misheard that. Um, uh, the Bible uh, often calls them uh, Sidonians because they were descended from Canaan's son, Sidon. By the way, uh, so you have Canaan, Sidon, uh, and Heth. So Canaan had these two sons. We'll 
obviously the Canaanites come, come from Canaan, who's the son of Ham. Cain is the cursed child, uh, grandchild of Noah. Um, Heth is the father of the Hittites. We'll come to them. Um, there are two main cities of the Phoenicians or Sidonians. One is Tyre. The other is Sidon. You almost always see them put together, Tyre and Sidon. Let me give you just uh, three, three uh, where they're prominent. First of all, David never conquered Tyre and Sidon, and he seemed to have entered some sort of alliance with them. In fact, the king of Tyre... Uh, Hiram is the one that provided a lot of materials for David's palace and Solomon's uh, temple. So there's some sort of economic trade that they had there. Um, secondly, Jesus uses these two Canaanite cities, these Phoenician cities, uh, as really uh, examples of judgment on Israel. So Matthew chapter 11, Woe to you, Chorazon! Uh, woe to you, Bethsaida! For if mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, here are Jewish cities, here are Canaanite cities, Phoenicians, Sidonians. If, if what had been done for you had been done for them, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than you. So, so Jesus uses them. Here, here are these ancient pagan cities. And you've got to think, they, they, he's got the book of Judges in his mind. This period of, of uh, Israel never could conquer those places. And, and there you, you will find paganism and idolatry and evil and all kinds of evil practices. And, and, and Jesus says, it'll be better for them than it will be for you because you've had the Messiah in your midst and you rejected him. Now, they have an excuse. <laughs> I didn't go knocking on their doors. I came knocking on yours. Let me give you one more reference uh, to this, is that Jesus healed a Canaanite, a Canaanite woman from this area. This is chapter 15 of Matthew. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Interesting language now, isn't it? Lord, son of David. She's Canaanite. She's Gentile. She is confessing like Rahab before her. The God of this land is Yahweh. Now you go back to chapter 11. It would be better on that day. Uh, her, her daughter is possessed by demons. So, um, interesting. Do with that whatever you want. Yeah. Yes, yes. And then, yes, okay, so if we want to keep reading, uh, he, he, he's, no, don't give the dog. And, of course, she says, well, you know, dogs get scraps. In our house, uh, the dog gets my scraps. The cat gets their scraps. Don't even get me started on this because it's not okay when I do it. Oh, but we'll baby talk the cat into, oh, you want a little bit of turkey? Oh, kitty cat. Oh, just can't stand it. Can't. Stand it. Oh, I give you just a little bite. I don't want you to choke. You know, here's here's a bone, dog. You know, anyways, so, but she re, she responds with, you know, scraps, uh, you know, even scraps for the dog. And, and Jesus just pauses and says, I've, I've not found this faith in Israel. It's, it's, it's to add to the judgment upon Israel that the Gentiles are getting it. Man, so good. Um, all right, the Hivites. Who in the world are the Hivites? Well, I don't know, to be honest with you. They're uh, mentioned in Joshua. Uh, oh, I'm throwing this up there just, just to remind you where everything is. Um, Hivites first mentioned uh, there uh, to the Canaanites in the east and the west, the Amorites, uh, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Hill Country, and the Hivites under Hermon in the land of Mitzpah. 
Um, now, although the the what's that? Yes, we're coming back to Mount Hermon. Um, I wish Danny was here. He could he could really. I'm gonna go in the direction of Mount Hermon, and Danny would have to correct everything I say. So it's probably best he's not here. Um, but uh, the Hivites, the term is not found outside of the Bible. It doesn't mean they didn't exist. We thought the same thing uh, about Ur for a long time. Uh, the Hittites. Uh, we'll come to the Hittites later. Um, I haven't. I mentioned this last week. I have an entire book on the Hittites. This Kingdom of the Hittites. I've not read this yet. Because uh, I have about a thousand books I'm supposed to be reading right now. Um, but I do plan on reading it. For a long time, people said, you can't trust the Bible because there are no Hittites. And then we kept digging. And now we can speak their language. Uh, we know their religion. Here's an entire book on them. Yeah? And, and uh, there's, there's a whole study just, just on the Hittites. So uh, we don't have the Hivites. Uh, the Hivites, rather. Um, however, uh, there's, uh, the word means village of nomads. And, and so they, they're seen occupying uh, <coughs> sorry, a lot of cities throughout Canaan. So here's the map. <coughs> sorry. Uh, you're awake now. Uh, they are seen in Shechem. We find them in Shechem in the Bible, which is right here. Um, and so um, um, Jerusalem and Bethlehem are down here to give you a point. Right here's Shechem. But we find them everywhere in the Bible because they're nomadic. And that probably is, if that is true, and I think it is in the Bible, that probably explains why we've not really found anything about them. Uh, We have groups that we have found that there is no written record of them, like in the Bible or something. And then we have written records of people that we've not been able to find archaeological stuff of them. Uh, And this is just the fact of life with nomads. They don't leave much traces because they don't have a lot of stuff. You know, it's, it's, they got their goats, and they got their family, and that's it. You know? uh, so, so they don't leave a lot of stuff behind for us. They don't build these large cities or anything like that. Um, the last reference to them is in 2 Chronicles where Solomon enslaves them. Uh, so um, they're not mentioned in Judges again. Now, uh, 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 Mark brought this up there in verse 4. You'll notice, um, or verse 3 rather, uh, the Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon as far as Lebo Hamath. Um, I hope you don't mind. We're going to chase a rabbit. It's a fun rabbit to me. You may wonder what in the world are we doing with this. Uh, I miss judges. Um, this mountain range is, is very important in the Bible and, and everything else. And I want to... I want to sort of condense this as, as, as best as, as I can. Um, this is simply known as Mount Hermon throughout the Bible. Here, it's interesting. We'll come back to this. Mount Baal or Baal Hermon. Um, so, so it's clear that, that the Hivites have turned this into a, loca- a sacred location of worship Baal. Baal. Um, and, and we know this archaeologically. Uh, and, and it remains uh, throughout the ancient world a central area of pagan worship. You can go there today. Uh, you can pull up your Google Earth, um, and uh, it'll take you right there. You can see the archaeological digs for when the Greco-Romans had their shrines. And we'll, we'll, we'll come to them here, here in a minute. Um, I want to point out a few things here. It, it, it is the tallest mountain range in Israel. It marks the northern border of Israel. So Mount Hermon is right here. To this day, it is, a, it is the northern marker uh, so so uh, I think Syria is just on the other end of that mountain range. It's the tallest. Uh, it's also a ski resort now. Uh, you can go 
Enjoy the snow uh, on, on one end of it. The other end's not so snowy, but um, uh, it is, it is there, it's a high mountain range. There's like three mountains there. Uh, Mount Hermon's the tallest, and it is a prominent mountain uh, in, 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 in ancient Israel. Uh, Joshua defeated the Anakim there. You remember the Anakim were connected to the Nephilim and were giants. So that is an important part of the story. In Joshua, what they found there were giants. And remember, Joshua and Judges is all about retelling the Noah story. Um, it was a sacred mountain to the Canaanites, Baal Harmon, makes that clear, also to the Israelites. Let me give you just two passages in the Bible. Um, um, Psalm 42, 6, And my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Bazar. So here is, is I remember you from this mountain. These are geographic, geographically located. I remember you in the land of Canaan. Uh, another example, Psalm 89. Uh, the heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon joyously praise your name. Here, notice that it's the anthropomorphization of a mountain, two mountains, that they are praising you. And the idea is that these mountains have a, are sacred space, and there's some sort of, probably some sort of uh, shrine or worship space there by which it's imagined that the mountain itself is shouting praise. And from that mountain, we, we shout praise. It's clearly um, a, a sacred place. Well, uh, uh, people in Jesus' day knew all about this mountain. And it shows up in the New Testament. It's never called in the Gospels Mount Hermon. Um, but we do know Jesus went there. Um, in fact, keep your place here. Let me show you something. Matthew chapter 16. Y'all are going to love this or are you going to hate it? I went down quite a rabbit trail. Um, but you have never been shown this. Okay. So you can't say, I've gone to church my whole life, and we did the same thing every time. There was that one Wednesday. Um, I either showed you something really, really cool or something so bizarre you immediately forgot it for the sake of your own soul. I don't know. Um, in Matthew 16, uh, starting in verse 13, uh, you know the story well. This is the turning point in Matthew and Mark's gospel. They have the same turning point, which means everything after this uh, is different than everything before. This is the turning point. This is when Rocky finally decides he's going to go fight Apollo Creed, right? This, this is the, the point. This is when Frodo decides he'll take the ring, okay? This is it. Uh, so before Matthew 16, you get all this talk about kingdom. After chapter 16, you get all this talk about a cross. Right? This is it. The kingdom comes by means of the cross. This, this is the path he's going to take. Verse 13, now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, Paul's there. Where's that place? Well, I, tell, I don't know if I have a... Uh, no, I, I do, but, but I don't have it on, on a map. So Caesarea Philippi is right here at Mount Hermon. It, it, we now call it, it later became known as Benias. It comes from the name Panias. We've somehow made it a B. Panias was named Panias because it was named after the Greco-Roman god Pan. Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nerd out here for a minute. Pan was a goat-like god. It was, uh, Pan is a Greek word that means everything, all things. So sort of the god of everything, but he's really the god of nature. Uh, he was like a half goat, half human, sort of like a fawn character. And actually the Greek word is where we get the word uh, fawn. Um, uh, he was uh, uh, the, the sort of god that the shepherds like to worship, Greco-Roman shepherds. 
And, and so a bunch of shepherds sort of came into this area. That was the, the Penance was later named Caesarea Philippi by Herod, who was honoring Caesar and his son Philip. So he named it Caesarea Philippi. And so, uh, but Penance uh, um, uh, was a lot of shepherds there. And so they had their shepherd God and he dwelled in the mountain. And so you can go, uh, you could go there in time of Jesus and you would find something like this. Here are three shrines uh, here. Uh, I want to highlight, see the little hole behind that. We'll, we'll get to it here in a minute. And you can go there now and you can, you can see where these, these things were. Um, now, Pan uh, has influenced Western culture. Uh, one is uh, the story, the myth of Peter Pan was influenced by this god. Google it, okay? I ain't got time for this. Google it. You can do it on your own time. It's fascinating stuff. It's weird, but it's fascinating stuff. Um, but uh, Pan was the sort of god that at nighttime would like to scare people. He was a rather mischievous god. The gods were never good people. Uh, they were usually womanizers, but this one just liked to scare people. And so whenever you were scared by Pan, you went into a panic. So it comes into our English language. So when you panic, well, that's the god Pan. You know, that's where we get that. Right? Now, now what you would do is, is in, the, in Jesus' world, is, is uh, uh, the, they would have a day where which they would uh, try to appease the god Pan. And what you would do, you would go into the marketplace, get you a goat. It's the goat god. And you would come into, and behind that, uh, that uh, one on the left, you see, you, you see the, the cave there. That is uh, basically uh, a pool. And they, they didn't know how deep it went. It's a very deep pool. About a fourth of the water to the Jordan River comes from this area. There's a spring under, under the mountain, all that sort of stuff. So it's a lot of water. And they couldn't find the depth of that pool. And, and so what you would do is you would come. You would offer your goat as a sacrifice. And then the goat would be thrown into the water. If the goat sank, remember, they didn't know how deep it went. Then Pan accepted your sacrifice. You move on with your life. If the goat didn't sink... Then you had to go back into, <clears throat> go back into the city, get you another goat, come back again. You could do that a million times, however much it took, until Pan God was was accepted. Now, because they believe they didn't know that it uh, it didn't have an ending, uh, this area, this cave, was believed to be the entrance to the underworld, Hades. So Pan would come and go between the underworld and the natural world. Now, the Greco-Romans had several of these spots in the Roman world. You can study these. There's dozens, and they were all competing on which one was the real one and all that sort of stuff. This was a prominent one. And, and uh, we, we know this even before uh, the days of Jesus. But let's just stay here with Jesus, okay? So they come into Caesarea Philippi, the district there. He asked the disciples who people say Son of Man is. You know the story, right? Elijah, you know, all, prophets, all that sort of stuff. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter's answer, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, uh, Jesus is right here. And that's what they're looking at. This is a purely Gentile area. It's far northern part of Israel. The Romans have taken over. Is all, all Gentiles, and it is paganism upon paganism upon paganism with an ancient stench to it. They've, they've been here for centuries in and, and, and one Gentile pagan culture after another. And, and, Jesus, and Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the right answer. You remember what Jesus says then? Uh, verse uh, 
17. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of John, son of Jonah. Bar just means son, like a bar mitzvah, son of covenant. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This is divine uh, revelation that we now have in God's word. This is Matthew telling us who Jesus is. My father is in heaven is given to you. Verse 18. I tell you, you are Petros, rock. And on this Petra, which rock, one is a stone, one is a large rock. I will build, remember Jesus is a carpenter. I will build, uh, and, and these, these stones play an important role in that work. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Now just pause there, pause there. Protestants and Catholics cannot agree on the meaning of this, the word this. What's this? And we're limited by the text. Uh, is it Peter or is it Peter's confession? Catholic says it's Peter. And on Peter, I'll build my church. It's the papacy. Protestants come and say, nah, nah, fam, that's not the way, way we roll. It's Peter's confession on this rock, that foundation, I'll build my church. I think that's the right interpretation because I'm, I'm not Catholic in case you didn't notice. But can I add another option to you? He's looking at a rock. It's on the screen right here. It's the mountain. On this rock, I will build my church. Now you're thinking, who cares about Mount Hermon? By the way, uh, uh, new archaeological studies have found uh, an early church planted right there in front of that cave. You can go there right now and look at it. You could, we know that because of the, the mirror on the ground. All right, we found it. So they did plant a church on this rock. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a good, uh, that'll get you funding from the North American Mission Board, <laughs> right? I think so. Um, but notice the gates of hell will not prevail. That spring, it's now been drained because of earthquakes and whatnot, so there's nothing there now. They believed and called it the gates of and because of the practice of killing the goats, and in one location it was, they were doing human sacrifice, I wasn't able to verify that, but because it became a, a place of death, it became the realm of the dead, because that's what Hades is. It's the underworld. It's the realm of the dead. What is Jesus saying here? Well, let's go beyond the Greco-Romans. Let's do the Jews. We are getting into Jewish myth, okay? um, but still influential in the time of Jesus. According to Second Temple Jewish Temple, uh, Second Temple Jewish writings, so this would be anything from the return of Babylon to, say, second century, something like that. Okay, uh, you get a development of theology. You have a lot of commentaries on the Old Testament during the time of Jesus, and it gives us some real insight into what was go, what ideas were around in the time of Jesus, and it helps us to read read the New Testament. Um, the one of the most influential books at this time was a book called First Enoch. You can read this. I'd recommend you read it. It's not biblical. Uh, the, uh, the Greek churches do have it in their Bibles. They're wrong, but, you know, that's their thing. Um, but Enoch tells the story of the pre-flood world. Enoch the prophet. He didn't write it, but written in his name. Uh, and he argues that the sons of God, Genesis 6, who come down, they descend onto the earth at that mountain. This is where they come down. And the sons of God mix with the daughters of men, and they create a race of giants known as the Nephilim. Now, what is the story of Joshua and Judges? It is 
It is Israelites cleansing the land, like in the days of Noah, of giants. You've got the Anakim, the Rephaim, the Nephilim. They're all there. And Enoch goes on to say, oh, if you want to reference here, uh, Joshua 12, um, Og, king of Bashan. We've talked about Og. The Rephaim, uh, another word for Nephilim, just stick with me there. Mount Hermon over here. Um, Og's bed was like 12 foot long or something. He was, he was a giant. Uh, maybe it's nine foot, something like that. Um, but here, here, here's the low of it. Is Enoch suggests, this is Jewish mythology, that when the Nephilim died, they went into the underworld. Um, and they went in here. That's the realm of the dead. You could go visit them in the realm. You'll never make it back. But if you want to go, you could go, go right there. Right there. Because that's where they came down, and that's where God sent them through the flood. And then they taught. Have you ever, ever asked yourself this question? I told you it's going to be weird. Why is it a big deal Jesus is casting out demons in the New Testament when demons are nowhere in the Old Testament? You ever wondered that? And so when Jesus comes to cast out demons, everyone knows he's Messiah. Well, if we take the Enochian interpretation... Demons are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. And where do they come from? Right there. So let's read it again. I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock, on this mountain, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell right in there will not prevail. Gates are not um, uh, offensive military weapons. They're defensive military weapons. Who's the aggressor? It's Jesus. And it's the confession of Peter who will go into the gates of hell itself. Maybe you still don't believe me. Okay. I want you to notice this. So you get that. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed on the third day, be raised. And notice Peter says, nah, not on my watch. And he immediately calls him out as satanic. He uses, and so get behind me, Satan. It's the same language Jesus used to Satan in Matthew 4 with the temptation when he gets rid of Satan. Now, now whether Satan's there or not, that's not the point, but you would expect him to be there, wouldn't you? According to Jewish mythology. Right. Now, he then says, verse 24 to 28, take up your cross and follow me. So you'll notice here, starting in verse 21, you have the first of three predictions of Jesus going to the cross. Remember, this is the turning point. Kingdom before this, cross after this. Here's the first reference to the cross. It's prediction. I'm gonna go to the cross, I'm gonna die. Chapter 17, what, how, does the, how does this chapter begin? It's the transfiguration. Mount of transfiguration. What mountain is it? I think it's this one. What happens on the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus ascends and he repeats the story of Moses going on Mount Sinai. Remember, Moses took three people with him. Jesus takes three people with him. When Moses gets to the top of the mountain, he is uh, exposed to the glory of God by which he must shield himself in the cleft of the rock. Jesus goes to the top of the mountain with his inner three and he unveils his glory. Um, and, but yet, uh, Peter, James, and John they don't have to hide themselves. And there is Moses and there is Elijah, the law and the prophets. It's an incredible scene. And I think it's right on this mountain. Jesus is taking ownership. This is a supernatural cosmic warfare, he's declared. 
Now, stick with me, okay? We were, if you're lost, give me five more minutes. Um, so he, he comes to the, okay. In, when Moses does that, he goes to the top of Mount Sinai. He sees uh, he's in God's presence, all that. Do you remember what's happening at the foot of the mountain? It, it, it's, it's idolatry. They're taking the gold that they got from the Egyptians, they melt them down, and they create a, a golden idol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, let me pause there. So a footnote, a footnote, a footnote. Uh, King Jeroboam will do the same thing. Uh, he will say, look, they've got, they, they've got Jerusalem. We need our own place. He builds a golden calf. You remember where he sets it up at? Right there. Right there he has it. Because the Canaanites believed that was the realm of the dead. Same thing as the Greco-Romans. Okay? And so, so you have Moses in the glory of God up there. That's where the gods dwell in the ancient world. You have chaos down here, idolatry and wickedness and everything associated with that. Jesus ascends the mountain and you have God's glory manifest in the person of Jesus and two witnesses bearing the truth to this. What's going on at the bottom of this mountain? Go down to verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man came up and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and he suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. Well, we know about the water, don't we? Fourth of the water into the Jordan's coming from right this mountain. He goes into the water. And I brought him to your disciples that could not hear him. Jesus says, O faithless, twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here. Jesus rebuked the demon and came out of the boy. He was healed instantly. Now, what did Jesus find at the foot of the mountain? Demons. What, did the, what was the Jewish mythology? Demons are the disembodied spirits of Nephilim. Where do you find the Nephilim? Right here. This is Jesus. Now, now, keep going down to verse 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered to the hands of men. They will kill him. He will raise on the third day and they will be greatly distressed. And they were greatly distressed. Second, second prediction. Two of the three predictions have to do with this mountain. Now, what does that have to do with, with the price of bread in China? Well, all of that really begins here in the book of Judges, where we find that God has said, here are uh, the Hivites, and they now possess this land, and it's for Baal Hermon. You must go get it back. And, and this, this fits right in this, this whole story this is a supernatural reading of the text, uh, that, that God is taking possession of the land so that his presence can be known throughout the, the, the world. This, this, is, this is the point. Of, we, 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 all right, other, uh, another list. Uh, so, uh, yeah, verse 5, we'll, we'll meet other ones. We, we won't go into them. Um, the Canaanites, generic word. The Hittites, uh, we talked a little bit uh, about them. Um, the Amorites. Uh, they are descendants of Ham. Uh, there are two Amorite kings, uh, Sion and Og. We talked about Og. Solomon will enslave the... the uh, oh, by the way, here's, here's, the, uh, here's the cave. And you can see the, the shrines that are still left over here. It's right there. Uh, uh, did you all happen to go about Mount Hermon, Susie? Yeah. Um, this is now... 
Other than Scotland, I think, that's where I want to go in life. Like, if I could just hop in there for about two hours and hop back out, I'd be a good. Say it again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I just find this stuff fascinating. Uh, so, um, Solomon um, um, enslaves them. The Perizzites are, uh, it means villagers, and so they, they dwell in rural areas, not cities. Solomon enslaves them. The Jebusites are the original uh, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Uh, that's why some of your maps will call Jerusalem uh, Jebus, uh, because they, they own it. Um, and verse 6 is, is the key one. Their daughters, uh, they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to the sons, they served their gods. So let me give you two points of application. We're done. You, you've probably just been lost everything we've said, and that's fine. Uh, let me give you two, two points of application. Um, and that is that in these six verses, um, uh, we are given the three enemies of humanity. That is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, their enemies are the world, uh, the Canaanites, and the Philistines, all of them around them. Uh, and they will be a constant source of testing and temptation for them. Uh, there is the uh, flesh in that they are so easily led astray. And, and so we already see this, that the world is there and they, 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 they intermarry into them. And then the flesh in that everything they have, they want. And the promises that the Canaanites make, they believe. So you, you're going to worship the, the prophets Baal because you want your crops to be big. And he promises to do that. And you don't know if you can trust Yahweh with that. You know, you haven't heard from him for a while. The other is the devil. And that's why I think the Mount Hermon stuff is important, is, is, is because uh, that is where the supernatural world congregates. And God is saying, go get it. Go cleanse it. You're going to cleanse the land, you're going to cleanse it. And, and, uh, and it isn't until the day of Jesus that finally the Messiah comes and declares war and victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, we Baptists don't like to talk about the devil part much. But Jesus does that. So what we talked about before was, did Jesus go into the underworld after his death? And they would come here and say, obviously he did. And I'm not sure that's what the text means. But, but you can see that, that Jesus crushes the head of the serpent. He slays the dragon. He defeats the power of Satan. And to this day, we believe that in Christ, uh, we, uh, we, we, we no longer need to be subjects of this broken, dying world. We are citizens of a better kingdom. And that we could be free from the sins of our own flesh because Christ became one of us and, and liberated us from our sins. And we know that the uh, fangs of the dragon are nothing for us to fear. Uh, the worst thing he can do to us is to falsely accuse us. But we are covered in the blood of Jesus, who is the slayer of dragons. Whether you go to Mount Hermon or Frankfort, Kentucky, um, Christ is victorious, and he will have the final victory in the end. Okay. You're probably all lost and tired. Um, anything you all see? Okay. Next week's Othniel, and it's just straight up, Judges stuff. So we'll see what we get from there. How about uh, we pray and um, we'll be dismissed. I'll pray for us.